This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. I am Brendan Nunez, and we finally have Rich Ivanowski back with us today as well. And today we have a special guest that is going to be doing a draft preview with us with the draft coming up on Thursday. That is Nate Miller, web producer, Sacramento map curator, and a general hoops nerd. How you doing today, Nate? Good, good. Can't wait for uh, the draft to come. We appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk with us for a little bit here because... You sent us an insane spreadsheet of information and clearly have way more knowledge on a, on this all these upcoming prospects than Rich and myself. Like I said, Rich is on here as well. How you doing, Rich? Just got married. Congratulations. I'm doing good, brother. I've heard that uh, you guys are having quite the heat wave back in Sacramento, but I would know nothing about that. It's beautiful here, 77 degrees, sunny. Ocean's right here. I just got out of an 80-minute deep tissue massage. <laughs> I got some uh, empty, empty empty, room service plates sitting next to me. And, yeah, I just got married in a Harry Giles jersey this weekend. So I'm doing good, man. Yeah, I don't know how you can do much better than that, to be honest. You really can't. And uh, I'll be honest with you. This I was really, really excited about this episode and to take a deep dive on some of these guys. But – to be honest, I, I didn't get around to it as much myself. You know, I think I get this. This is one, my one excuse is getting married, honeymoon this is my one excuse. But thankfully, we do have our friend Nate on to, to guide us through these choppy waters. Yeah, um, I'll just dive in a little bit. Uh, I just want to make clear, you know, from the start, I'm not a reporter with sources on any team. You know, I'm just a fan who's loved the draft since at least 2000. Uh, I can remember watching grainy sepia tone video of Hito after he was selected. Uh, I can pretty clearly remember watching the 2001 draft at a friend's house and hoping the Kings would draft Tony Parker. Um, you know, they picked Gerald Wallace instead and traded for Mike Bibby. So I think that one worked out. Um, clearly no expert. I once believed Tyreek Evans and Thomas Robinson could be a bulldozing pick and roll combination. So you know, clearly I've been wrong, but, um, you know, like a lot of fans, a lot of draft fans, I grew up reading Chad Ford stories about workout wonders and the many, many international men of mystery who could forget Nicolas Skidishvili, Pavel Podkutsin, and Yuji Leon. Um, but, you know, for me, as a basketball fan, the NBA has always been a draft, has always been a kind of a celebration of hope for fans, for teams, you know, really for those players realizing the dream. Um, wearing those amazing suits, you know, hugging David Stern. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, I don't know, it's kind of a really exciting, exciting time. I don't, I don't know if you guys have any draft memories that you kind of remember fondly. Not specifically, really. I mean, throughout the, the couple of years, I mean, obviously, you know, Collie Stein's a decent one. Everybody was hyped on that. I thought that was a good fit. Didn't happen. Um, just the Kings jumping the last couple of years. I guess last year, I believe Rich also myself was disappointed to pass on Luca and go after Bagley. Happy with Bagley, but obviously Luca is what he is. Um, it, my knowledge and memory of the draft definitely does not go as far <laughs> back as yourself. Yeah, I think, um, you know, this is a really interesting year. Uh, you know, the Kings have second round picks and I think, what you've read in a lot of mock drafts, if you read them, or, or big boards. Honestly, it really does feel like the national guys 
really aren't spending a whole lot of time thinking about who actually might end up in Sacramento. Um, but, you know, I think teams have become so good at acquiring talent via all the avenues available that the greatest inefficiency in the NBA is the disparity between the well-run and the poorly-run franchises. You know, these, these second-round picks won't probably become stars, but if your team can unearth a few more quality second-round picks than other teams, you, you get a little bit of an advantage. Um, you know, if you can get... You know, I think I was thinking about it in terms of what Kings fans' general expectations should be, even aside from specific players. And I think if we're being just fair, that none of these guys will probably see the court. If we're being optimistic, we're going to get some production at the end of the season. And if we're really, really feeling confident about ourselves, you know, maybe one of these guys will crack their rotation really early on. And so before we even dive into any of the guys, any of the possible players, I think that's kind of a very good initial framework of expectations. Yeah, I definitely yeah. want to ask you that. And then the other question I have for you is, you know, sitting in the second round, 40, 47, 60, it's likely you're not drafting best player available. It's going to be a group of guys that feel about the same there. Is there a certain position or need that you feel like the Kings are really targeting in this draft? I would say what I've noticed, and I think Kings fans have certainly noticed it, they've worked out more guys than they've probably ever worked out before. And oh, yeah. I, I think in years past, we used to go, you know, there was the one year that Wade Baldwin was the highest rated prospect to come through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bagley came through and that sort of really locked in that selection. Um, so I think we kind of went from this, position where like oh that the, these guys are they're happy to be in Sacramento so maybe there's just a lot of guys that would definitely be happy to be in Sacramento um so so when I started kind of in the spring thinking like how am I going to follow this draft in a smarter way I built out this spreadsheet that you mentioned um with kind of traditional player statistics and uh some of the advanced stats in addition to where these players ranked on the boards and mock drafts and updated them all along the way. And uh, I think we've mentioned, I mentioned really before we started recording that I would say the top 75 players have definitely kind of solidified. I mean, there will always be surprises. There's always teams that just never really let out any sort of information. Um, but I think even before I'd say, you know, we get to that who might be available lower. One of the, some of the names I want to throw out, if, one of these maybe proposed trades where the Kings take on a bad salary, get a pick in the 20 or 30, 30s. I think some of the guys that at least kind of maybe fit a profile of the Kings, I'll throw out there um, a Nick Claxton, a Matisse Thibel, or a Chuma Okike. I, you know, I just think that um, for the Kings, it seems like they're looking for um, kind of players with a certain set of attributes that really kind of I that kind of really fit with their core. I mean I mean we all know who those core players are, but I think the 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 combination of skills you're looking for, and that not all of these players will have all of these categories, but elite athlete elite athleticism, length, a relentless motor, stamina run in the open court, and isolation ability. And I think that if they get into the twenties, I think they're you know, they probably even then won't get a player that's immediately uh, a contributor. But I think that you want to get a guy that you see that really high upside. And all three of those players are long. They have strong defensive potential. Um, they definitely get blocks. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with those three, but I think those would be the real first-round candidates because as I've seen as the mock drafts have updated and the big boards this week, some of those guys I thought that they would target in the 20s, frankly, might be available in the 30s or even at number 40. So to give some context to this, uh, looking at this group of guys that you think might be available in the early 20s, uh, though it could be available later, like you mentioned, it was reported by Jeremy Wu of SI that the Kings uh, could be interested in moving into the 20s. Now, I will say that you know, we can't be sure what pick that, that could, that may be exactly, but Oklahoma City certainly is in a lot of stress financially and pick 21 does feel like it could be available. 
Uh, is that something that you 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 think is possible, Brendan, and, and might uh, be interested in? I do. I've seen that thrown around also. Um, they have contracts that they definitely need to get rid of. And really, I mean, they need more shooting on that team also. The Thunder just kind of need to rework a couple things. And then the contracts that are there are that Schroeder contract still has two years left and $31 million total, um, barely about 15 and a half per year. Patrick Patterson interests me. He's only $5.4 million. And then Roberson's in there as well, who I really like. I would like a elite defensive guy, but obviously there's injury concerns there. And does he play the 2-3? Uh, Roberson is at 10.7. So I definitely see that. And I also know that Boston is saying that they don't want to keep all three picks. And I could see them being interested in a 20 or 22 move in one of those. That's good. That's right. Those are all in the same area. So um, that feels like if we if we target that area like uh, Nate is about to do, that'll be interesting. And I'll say just for an analog for what could be a potential trade, um, I look at the the Alan Crabb trade from the Nets to Atlanta. His contract was one year, eighteen and a half million, and uh, they attached the pick uh, pick number seventeen with that. And so I feel like Robertson. And Patterson, that gets you to about $15.5 million, both one-year deals. To me, that feels about right for 21. And then, you know, we can get into semantics. But but uh, that's just to say I wouldn't touch Schroeder. But anyway, getting getting back to the point at hand uh, at 21, you mentioned some guys, Nate. Of this group, uh, we got some – it looks like we got some wing – we got some wings and a center – in Nicholas Claxton. Is anyone of this group standing out to you as your favorite guy? I mean, I think Matisse Bible, though he played more in a zone, um, I mean, his his defensive numbers are just insane. I mean, 3.5 steals, block, steals per game, and this is for the senior year, 2.3 blocks, 6.7 steal percentage, 8.4 block percentage, a 10 defensive block plus minus, and an 88 defensive rating. Um, there are some questions about whether he can – kind of stretch the defense, hit enough threes to just be someone that's frankly better than a Roberson. Um, but I think if they want to really kind of probably ensure that they get a couple more wins, he's probably the guy that's immediate. I mean, Claxton uh, got a lot of buzz uh, in the playoffs with you know how effective people found uh, Kevon Looney to be as kind of a pick-and-roll defender. And then Okike won't even play next year because he's uh, – you know, he tore his ACL, but I think he has probably as much uh, kind of defensive potential as Matisse, even maybe differently. I think Matisse Thibault is a little thin. He would struggle against some of the bigger wings, um, but I think that's that's a guy, you know, he's very interesting. Um, yeah, he, I don't think he's got too many reported workouts, so there's been a strong buzz that he has a promise. So conceivably... If he has a promise, it might be hard to see the Kings trading for him, but you know, you kind of don't know what you don't know um, there. And like I said before, some of these players are falling, so I don't know. I think I think the Kings, we're all, we're all reading this news and kind of thinking, what's what does it mean to the cap? Does it if if they take on a contract, is that a sign that they thought that they weren't going to be a player for other players, or is it just? kind of a total interest in a player that's a real buy-in from a player that's available at the end of the first round. Um, a little bit lower um, kind of in the area. He's, I think he's the 32nd best overall prospect. You got Dylan Windler, and he has some strong fans, I think, out there among Kings fans. He's an incredible rebounder um, for a guy who's 6'6 in shoes. Um, but... In the main five shooting categories, I mean, he's all above average. He's a little thin, um, about 196 or so. But I think that's another guy where if they wanted kind of some immediate production, although, you know, I, there's been a little bit of talk that he's the kind of guy that's um, he's like a system player and not so much a, kind of a raw projectable skills. But I, I do think that's a guy that could get some immediate minutes for them. And, and then obviously um, – you know, the centers, all the centers that could be dropping, uh, the Bruno Fernando, Daniel Gafford, and, uh, you know, Jonte Porter's not a guy that would probably play next year as he's also rehabilitating. 
Um, but he's a guy I think that was really interesting to me because as I was looking over his range of skills from passing, shooting, rebounding, defense, um, he reminded me of Brad Miller just because everyone says he can do all of these things, but he's not a great athlete. Um, and I think, you know, after last year's interest in his brother, Michael, I think, you know, the Kings probably have a little bit of a kind of a familiarity with the family. Uh, that's another name I would throw out if they kind of move up to maybe the 30s. It's possible he's going to be there at 40. Um, but I think that's another long bet. You know, I think I, I look at some of these guys that are injured that have a lot of high upside, and I think people might be afraid of them, but clearly the Kings have a strong health uh, medical staff. I mean, we saw what they were able to do with Harry Giles, and you know, you can't just credit that only to the medical staff. That's testament to him, the player. Um, but I think, I think you feel like they would probably not be too afraid considering the amount of um, flexibility they have with these all these second-round picks. Sticking with that potential hypothetical of moving up to that 2021, uh, let's say 21 with OKC, uh, there's certain players that seem to have a higher upside from what I can tell that have seen falling to that point. Um, is there any guy that you could see really slipping down a good while there to that 21 range. I mean, just to throw a couple names at you, like I've seen Bull Bull with the injury concern. It wouldn't surprise me if you went higher. Um, I know a lot of people are really high on Brandon Clark, but I see him going lower in some mocks at times. And then maybe like say Kevin Porter happens to be the 21 pick in this mock I'm looking at. Yeah. You know, I think there's this draft has such a wide range of guys. I mean, you know, there's, with Porter, yeah, he could be available. Um, the reporting seems to be that he's he, he had some struggles at USC, but it did, doesn't seem that he was, per se, a, a bad player. He was just a little immature. Uh, I know Sam Ficini of The Athletic has, has suggested that if, if someone drafts him, they should bring in an assistant coach from the Seattle area that can really help guide him. Uh, I'm not so sure that Kings maybe need a targeted shooting guard, but if if they were to trade up and just go value, that's it. That's a talented guy. Bull Bull has just that wide range of shooting ability and blocking that you don't often see. But I think I'm just really scared of a center that's that thin, um, that's broken the navicular bone. That just that just really scares me. I think you know if they were to get maybe just a 30, or even if he was ill in the 40s, I would say why not. But I, I'm just kind of scared. Uh, touching someone like that. Um, I know that sounds like I'm talking out of one side while talking about how I like Jonte, who's injured, <laughs> but I think there's a more of a kind of a projectable set of skills for Jonte. And then, um, yeah, like you said, Brandon Clark, and I'd even throw Grant Williams into just incredible college production, but um, you know, I don't think that they would fall into a spot where the Kings could get them. And I'm also sort of feeling like they just don't have the length that I feel like the Kings are interested in. Now the Kings have have had players that are smaller, but you know Frank Mason fell out of the rotation. Clearly, they were interested. They're interested in improving the position that uh, you know Yogi plays as well. Um, so it, it's sort of just they don't necessarily feel like they fit an archetype that they're interested in as much as like draft Twitter it would love those players and then. You, Frankly, Kings fans would probably love those players. I'm just not super sure. And I'd throw one other name of the raw, young, and athletic would be Talon Horton Tucker. Um, he's gotten crazy buzz, and it kind of confuses me um, because he's, uh, as I've looked at him comparable to other players in that kind of third guard, backup, bat ball handler, maybe defender kind of role, he doesn't really do anything above average. Um except for the fact that he's six, two and a half without shoes and has a seven, one and a quarter wingspan. And I feel like that's the thing is he just has this wild wingspan and, and NBA teams think they can mold him. But, you know, it seems like a player that might not even be productive until his third or fourth year. And are you wasting a roster spot uh, if, if it's a first round pick kind of a contract? So that, that's what I would be concerned about too. Gotcha. Well, the number 30 pick is also likely to be available. Mark Stein reported that the Bucks are looking to move off Tony Snell or Ersan Ilyasova uh, and would be happy to attach pick 30 with it. That has not been connected to the Kings in any way, but it also feels like an interesting area of the draft board to take a look at. 
considering I also feel like if we wanted to talk about trading up, perhaps picks 40, 47, and maybe even 60 could get you near enough pick 30 that this, this is an interesting spot. I know you mentioned a few guys in that area, like Dylan Windler, but anyone else in that area you wanted to discuss? I don't, I don't know. As I've thought just more about it, and I just looked at, I looked at all the average. It, it doesn't necessarily feel like there's a player that's super exciting in that uh, thirty to before, basically right before the Kings pick, because I think that there's just different outcomes that 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 player might fall. Um, I mean, I I like Carson Edwards a lot, but I I think because he's small, he doesn't really fit the Kings archetype at the moment. Um, if they're looking for a really burly defender, you know, Lou Dort from ASU could excite them. Um, but I think the most exciting player is, is, is Bruno Fernando because you can, you can conceivably really, really see him playing backup center minutes. And, um, but he could be there at 40. So, uh, I think he's probably the best. I think what you, what you end up seeing a lot of times is, um, sometimes people work on these mock drafts and they, they have existing guys that have been in the first round and they kind of put them, you know, into a slot at the end of that first round. And it's, it's really unclear if they're actually there or if they've dropped even further. Um, so yeah, just as I've kind of worked through it, it's, it's, it's hard to see a really obvious gamble of who they would get aside from maybe a Fernando. And, and I think, I think taking on a Snell contract and moving up to solidify, you get a Fernando if you think you're not going to get a good signing, that's that's two rotation players, and I think that's probably not too bad. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. The King's Pulse podcast is now available on the app PodCoin. That is an app where you literally get paid to listen to podcasts. Our podcast is on there. There's plenty of other great content as, re- as well. How it works is for regular listening, you earn one pod coin every 10 minutes. There's bonus podcasts as well that will include the King's Pulse podcast that you earn one and a half pod coins for 10 minutes. And there's also streak listening where you can le- earn up to two or two and a half per 10 minutes and you can put those pod coins towards gift cards, and other prizes as well that have a cash value. Be sure to download PodCoin and listen to our podcast and the rest of the podcasts that are on there as well. And in these drafts, there's obviously tiers. You know, Zion's in his own. It feels like Morant Barrett are the second tier on their own. And then there's a good group of guys. And obviously, you keep tiering down. Is there really that much of a difference between sitting at 30 and 40 or... Like, would it be worth it, say, to trade these three picks for that 30 spot? Or is it better to just get more chances um, at really hitting a home run on one of these? I think that's a good point because I, I probably just my my mind of going and following drafts before, I would have said, of course, like, just get that get that one guy that you think is going to produce. But now, especially with all the workouts they had, I think you just want more bites of the apple. I think there's like kind of a, a little micro tier where the Kings actually select that does give their pick value. Um, the, you know, I, I've updated it and Terrence Davis, who the Kings worked out and Roby are the 39th and 40th best prospects. Um, right after that is Baisley, Servetus and Pons and pretty much Kings fans have had sort of interest in a lot of these guys. Um, so I think staying there and at least getting one of those. And then it's very possible that someone's going to fall from those into this kind of really next tier that includes guys like uh, Admiral Schofield, um, a, uh, Zach Norvell, Terrence Mann, that, those kind of guys. There's a, just a lot of wings. So I think wings and scorers and shooters are all really there. And, you know, I've kind of worked it out, kind of just kind of like 
put like just trying to test and see who's there. And I think we're, there's kind of a scenario where the Kings could end up with a Roby, an Isaiah Roby, mixed with a Zach Norvell, one of our first two picks. And if it doesn't work out like that, it's possible that it's Terrence Davis and Xylem uh, Cheatham. Cheatham. It's hard to pronounce his name. And I think that's kind of, I think that's, I mean, I just think that that's probably what's going to happen. I know, I know some are very excited about Pons, but, you know, Pons canceled his workout probably because he thinks he's going before. Um, so I kind of think kind of a, I feel like they're going to target a, a really flexible uh, big forward that can rebound, block shots, and actually kind of drive a little bit, you know, take the ball from with after getting the rebound, and then probably some sort of wing. Um, and that's kind of the combination I've been thinking of. I know Schofield's another big guy that people are fans of, and he's kind of slowly fallen on board, off on boards. Um, but there's a part of me that thinks that he's going to end up with the Bulls. Uh, kind of feels like a kind of their kind of new t- player, a tough player. Because um, you know, I think if you know if he ends up being Semi Ojale, you're going to wonder who else you could have drafted. But sure, if he ends up being you know a PJ Tucker, you'd be you kind of might have wished you got him. But I, I think they're going to end up with a couple of good gambles in that range. Um, I, I can just go back to Roby a little bit. Um, you know, when he came to Sacramento, he was the highest rated prospect to come through, and he was, it was unclear whether he was going to return to school or not and uh, play for uh, Fred Hoiberg. You know, and he, he stayed in, and there's something about him, just his ability to get some steals and some blocks and, and how he'd fit with Bagley and Giles. I, you know, I think that's probably a guy that fans could probably kind of it would be smart to read up a little bit more on them. And then... Uh, you know, the other option I do think is Terrence Davis, who who's now just slightly a higher-rated prospect. He doesn't do anything poorly compared to other backup wing prospects. And, you know, while he does turn the ball over, you know, in total kind of a high number, he does have a strong positive assist-to-turnover ratio. Feels a little bit like a, a Will Barton, uh, a solid rotation player who's an occasional starter with, uh, you know, a thin frame, uh, but probably an immediate contributor, at least to a small level. I know that Roby is a guy that uh, Bryant West, the draft guy for Sacktown Realty, has been uh, really high on for a while. And whenever he ends up in a mock draft going to the Kings, it feels uh, – uh, if he gets pretty excited about it. I, I, I'm interested in the comp of Jermichael Green that you have down here for him. Um, I mean, how do you think that – a guy like him fits into the team, do you think he's going to take a little while, or do you think that he's a guy that could fit into the rotation? I would say I was definitely most worried kind of about his shooting. Um, but as I was comparing him to kind of the other thin um, kind of forwards that are out there, as, as kind of these flexible new age forwards with, frankly, body types that are really similar to Harry Giles, you know, the blocks has really stood out to me. And I think they, I think the Kings front court just needs a guy that at least has a different skill here and there. And um, so I think he would really play well off of him. And, and when he was at, I can't remember if it was the G League camp or the or the Combine, you know, they were saying that he was doing a good job of bringing the ball before. Um, so, I, you know, I think I think it's him, you know, but the Zylan, Zylan, Chetham, you know, it, it just, I feel like, they might even be sitting in their offices and just going back on what combination they leave this draft with because Cheatham gives you 10.3 boards a game and he's also getting 3.2 steals. So, I mean, 3.2 assists. So I, I kind of think there's just kind of probably a back and forth on, on how, and, this, and he's a better, a better shooter. At least he's kind of an average, at least an average shooter, maybe not an exceptional one, but um, yeah, I don't know if that does a great job of answering your question, but I think I think he's at least uh, a player that sat in the first round at times for some people. The, the talent's there. And I, one of his knock was just kind of um, does he have kind of the I don't want to use the word heart, but just looking like he's really always into the game. And I think I think if you play next to Harry Giles and Marvin Bagley and you're not playing with energy, then there will be a problem because I don't think those guys will probably let that happen. 
And is there anybody that you feel infatuated with this that you really want them on the Sacramento roster realistically or anyone that you feel like has a really good chance of? I mean, obviously, there's a big list of guys. It's hard to tell, but anybody specifically? Yeah, I'll kind of just try to look again at some of the some of the guys that things that stood out to me. Now, going to Zach Norvell, 49th best overall prospects, um, sitting at a draft range of about 47. Um, he's a combo guard who fit in with other high-profile teammates. He's got he's a good three-point shooter on volume. He's got a 2.2 assist-to-turnover ratio, which is definitely uncommon for shooting guards. And he does have positive defensive stats. Um, however, that might just be a reflection of playing with other good defenders. Um, sometimes the... Sometimes when you look at block box plus minus, uh, it's really kind of a, a reflection of the scheme, but at least it's not a negative. Um, I think if he was playing with a, with bogey, you know, that would give you a backcourt with size, shooting, and creation. So that, that's interesting to me. Um, you know, Zylan is a Pascal Siakam light. You know, that's a, that's a guy that, uh, I think when I last looked, there were only four high ranking bigs with positive assist to turnover ratio, and he was one of them. Um, dropping down a little bit lower as a Miye Oni. He's, uh, the wing at a Yale. And he's a good rebounder and shot blocker at his size, who does create a little bit. Um, gets him, he's got good assists, um, although he didn't face super strong competition. Um, though he hasn't really, you know, gotten much buzz during the workout season. I, you know, I think when you're looking at pick 47 and, and there's a wing that's worth gambling on, that might be smarter than going with a Zach Novell. And then really at the back end of the, the, the drafts, you know, the, what they say is, you know, picks probably after even number 40, you know, a lot of times those are agents negotiating with teams for either kind of a guaranteed deal or a guaranteed two-way or an opportunity. Um, so it's probably going to be really hard to pick who the Kings would pick if they kept the 60th pick. Um, but, you know, Jordan Bone, uh, point guard, 61st best overall prospect, has some fans out there. He's got a lot of athleticism, did tested very well, um, although critics will say he didn't really show that on the floor. He's still a good shooter with an assist-to-turnover ratio of nearly 3-1, to one, and kind of in a world where everyone's looking back at how did we miss on Fred Van Vliet and Monte Morris. But those are two little indicators that, you know, if you were interested in a guy like that, he's probably a player that would really fit. You know, though he's not that functionally athletic, the he can he can run, and I think if the Kings keep a similar offense last year, that's probably a kind of player you would want you'd want kind of in their system. And then I'd say even beyond, even without getting into some of the kind of maybe undrafted guys I'm interested in, a guy that's every time I look at him, I'm, I'm kind of like his numbers are really good, and that's uh, Quindale Weatherspoon. You know, when I'm looking at all these prospects, I'm generally almost dividing them in, into shooter versus scorer categories. And I've had Quindary Weatherspoon kind of as a scorer, but he's a really good shooter across the board. And um, so I think that's someone, even when you can compare him to Terrence Davis, um, yes, he does still the, turn over the ball more, but he does, does get you steals. So maybe there's a little bit of Norm Powell there. Um, and, I, you know, I kind of think that 60th pick probably comes down to those two players. So, you know, I think there's a world where you, you leave this draft with two um, third big candidates, two kind of wing candidates, maybe just another guard. Um, you know, at, at, you know, undrafted guys, um, you know, there's Cody Martin, there's some guys that are, uh, and John Contra, those are big ball handlers that the Kings have had in for workouts. Um, Contra also rebounds really, really well. Um and then, you know, I think some gambles that would be very interesting, but I don't necessarily see them happening. Charles Matthews, the really tough perimeter defender out of Michigan, you know, he got injured as well. I think it would take a, you wouldn't really get any production in the immediate year, year, but that might be a guy that, you know, you see what happens uh, and maybe you offer him a little bit more and just, you know, can he even see a couple of games at the end of the year with Stockton? Um, not sure, but that, that's another guy I would look at. You mentioned Stockton there, and you had mentioned earlier in the podcast how there's been more workouts or more players worked out by the Kings than possibly ever, certainly, that we know of. And it does feel like, to me, 
they are the Kings are interested in stocking up their G League team, especially with the team being so much closer to Sacramento now and having some upgraded facilities. Do you think that this might be uh, part of their tactic? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, I wouldn't say we were, as probably Kings fans, speaking for Kings fans, super excited about a lot uh, the two-way guys they had this year. Um, for a minute, it was really exciting to watch Troy Williams, but he sort of faded, and they didn't um, they didn't really they didn't bring him up, and so in some ways, that almost feels like a missed opportunity. And I'm not sure of the details, but I think it's possible Wenyan Gabriel still actually will continue on a two-way. But that's another guy that was super young that even thought might actually produce more than he did. So I think they might have went into last year not as prepared for what you could actually generate out of uh, two-way contracts and, and guys to get there. So I think it's I think they'll probably be looking at some of these big big ball handler guys. Um, you know, wings are just going to always be hard to find. And, you know, maybe someone like a Jalen Horde is a guy that that they would draft. I, mean, I think he's – I just don't see the shooting there. But, you know, maybe they can see some sort of development possibility there. Um, yeah, I, I think what you'll – you know, I, I followed the G League last year, and I was actually really surprised by how few – unsigned wings exist in the G league. It's, and um, so you, you're not going to probably find one on another roster. So if you want to even develop and have someone close to you, you're probably going to have, have them uh, on a two way. And, and it's also realistic to even expect that the picks that the Kings make at 47 and 60 uh, and even 40, we'll see a lot of time there anyway. And um, you know, I've, I've often thought that, it's really smart to even get a really good ball handler that you don't see as having even um, NBA potential, but a guy that really helps set up and develop the other guys, um, help them get them easier shots and really help initiate the offense if, if that's not a skill yet, they yet have. So someone like a Justin Robinson or a Josh Perkins, some kind of celebrated college point guards, aren't the worst picks. Um, and I, I mean, undrafted possibilities, I should say. And you're really educating me on how to enunciate so many of these names. Like, is is there just talking names aside from basketball? Is there like a best name in this draft? I know this is a little bit of a different direction, but like Admiral no, I like this. is a great I like first this. name. Oh man, let me. I would say, I I would say Zylan Cheatham. Really, that's a great name. Uh, See, I've I've got one here. This is my favorite favorite name in the draft. Frankie Ferrari. <laughs> well, Frankie Ferrari actually has a an Italian passport and might uh so that might be a, a, he might be a strong contender to play for one of those uh, teams over there. Taco uh, Fall is a classic. Taco Fall, yep. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, Zuzman. We maybe it's worth even discussing him briefly because I saw him in some mocks at sixty to the Kings, but that's that's a hell of a name. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, obviously he's been playing for I think Maccabi Tel Aviv, getting actually some G League and uh, not G League Euro League minutes. Uh, he's got a, like I think a seven seven foot wingspan, kind of fills in the gaps. He can handle a little, shoot a little, but uh, there are some concerns that uh, he you know doesn't really have NBA athleticism. Um, but he has been definitely thrown in a fair amount of the mocks as as, as a guy that goes sixty to the Kings and. Um, but because he's been consistently playing over there, um, I've only really seen, I think one workout with him. Now it doesn't mean that he hasn't had more, but I think that's about the only one I've seen. So I'm just going back up now a little bit, back up the board and looking at some more of your comps because I find them very helpful for someone like myself who does not watch a ton of college ball. Um, Going all the way to the top here, uh, one of the first guys you talked about, Thibault, he is put down here as uh, Danny Green as his ceiling from your perspective, and Tony Allen is also on here as a potential comp for Thibault. And, man, I just, if that's even a remote possibility, that is something that I would like to see the Kings take a swing at. Yeah, so 
what I have found is that a lot of writers, um, they don't like to use the comps a lot in their writing. I think they just don't want to, one, they don't want to pigeonhole those players, um, but they also don't want to uh, go on on a limb. And, I mean, I'm probably going to be wrong on a ton of these uh, myself, but I've tried to either know when other reporters kind of give a comp out there, and I've also been just messing around in basketball reference a lot, trying to, you, you can only really look up a couple variables, but I try to find like the rarest of their variables and look at, look, find other comps. Um, if you're looking for another Tony Allen type player, um, I had, a, I had a, identified a guy named, um, Josh Reeves. Uh, he was a Penn State guy. Mm-hmm. Um, just, he kind of has got knocked for not enough shooting, but, he, you know, he's, he gets you some steals and some blocks, and he wasn't a bad shooter, and he still is a plus, he's still got a plus wingspan. Uh, trying to look to see, you know, he worked out for the Kings, and uh, Dean Wade, a stretch four out of Penn State as well, he also worked uh, out for the Kings. And I'm not saying that's like that's a clue that they're looking for guys from established defensive programs, but, you know, Dean Wade... He had dealt with some injuries. Frankly, when he looked up his, his numbers from his previous year, there was a little bit of healthy Chandler Parsons within his numbers. But yeah, there's, there's a couple, there's a couple wing defenders that are kind of exciting on that lower end. If, if you get them into your program and get any kind of shooting ability out of them to at least be just an average shooter. That's the type of guy I would love to see in Sacramento. If he does go undrafted, uh, like you, like you think is a possibility. And then obviously scrolling through the comps again, I see Boban and I don't even need to double check who that's a <laughs> comp for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, Taco Fall, huge guy, the tallest guy to come through Sacramento, but I don't, I just don't feel like that's a guy that's probably worth you know, spending their time on. I, I think they want to run, you know, and I think you look at him, you invite him, you see, you see what he can bring to the table. But, um, you know, one way to kind of think, view some of these workouts too, is there's always a couple of guys that you're like, Oh, that guy's probably not an NBA player, but you, the team's doing the agents a solid. They're also trying to fill out, you know, some, a lot of these college guys, you know, they're doing anywhere from 15 to 25 workouts within a really compressed time. And, uh, you're not going to get everybody that you want to get in, at least to face the other guys you probably want. So, The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform, they give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Um, unless there's any more guys that you want to touch on Sacramento specific, maybe we can touch on a little bit of the other draft, uh, the rest of the draft for a minute here. Sure. Um, I guess to start, obviously, Zion Morant Barrett feels like one, two, three comfortably. Yeah, yeah, I oh. think, yeah, for sure. Okay, I figured. Um, and then after that, there's a group of guys. I mean, I've seen Garland sit it for uh, commonly. It doesn't fit for New Orleans, obviously, with Ball and Holiday. Is there anybody in that next group that stands out to you? So what I would say for sure is I did get to slowly feel like the rest of the 10 solidified as the, the year went on, and that was interesting to me. Um, the, yeah, we'll through rock work through the next 10. Uh, just on kind of on average position, you got Culver, Garland, White, Hunter, Reddish, Dambuya, and Jackson Hayes. Um, you know, I think White and Hunter, those were the guys that probably really solidified high lottery protect, high lottery selections for this year. Um, just kind of what they bring to the table for their, for their projected roles. Um, it, but I sort of feel like there's a little bit of a drop-off um, after eight, uh, at least as, as it relates to consensus. But I do think that, 
Seek Seku is interesting. Uh, Goga or Goja Batadze is interesting. Um, Jackson Hayes scares me because while he shot an incredible uh, percentage, I think 72.8%, uh, he's just so raw. And you, you wonder if he'll give you any production any earlier than that third year, even if he, if he, even if he looks like an amazing uh, piece of, of clay for the center position. That, that's, that's a little scary. Um, I th- but I do think that, um, you know, if we were just to do any sort of like wildly predicting the only, I'd say maybe Go- Gosha and Siku, Seku are, those are probably the only two guys that might surprise going higher just, just based on kind of what they bring, uh, how they kind of improve through their international years. I've definitely had people asking me about Goga if he would slip to like a Sacramento pick, and there's no way. Um, <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. And this was a while ago, you know, when people were first starting to hear these names. I'm sure not first for you. I guess on that, like, when do you start doing this? You have a ridiculous amount of names. Like, have you already started 2020? Uh, I moved some guys over that had into a separate uh, spreadsheet that were guys that had declared. But like I said early in the start, this is actually the first year I really. I really tried to do this. Um, I'd like to reference uh, in internationals that um, it's actually really rare uh, to find a lot of good write-ups uh, on a lot of these guys. That Sometimes if you're looking for one of these players, there might be, even through the course of one year, only really one well-detailed profile about them. You know, I think you, you can find a lot of draft Twitter guys that are that, that are scouts or, or they're, they're, you know, they want to be scouts that do a really good job of posting videos and clips, but it's actually really surprisingly hard. Uh, so when, when there are outlets that do write about those guys, it's, it's really nice to be able to kind of support them. Uh, I think I saw on, uh, or, or heard on, on, uh, the game theory podcast that Sam Vecini will have a piece on Goja and, and Seku. Uh, so that's pretty cool. But, you know, if you were to ask me, Tell me a little bit more about, you know, Yuval Zuzman or, um, gosh, let's, let's throw another guy out there, like Adam Makoka, you know, uh, or Didi Luzada Silva. You know, really, like, you can barely find a really decent piece about them uh, or, or like a Joshua Obiese. So, you know, when Jonathan Gavoni does those videos, those are sometimes your, one of some of your only real clips to even learn about some of these players. And it's, and it's interesting how they kind of become these consensus names in a mock draft, yet no one can really say anything more than has been said in other mock drafts, aside from kind of what they can see within statistics, which frankly are often really, really low because these players don't play a lot of minutes with their clubs overseas. Even some of the guys that are playing NCAA, I mean, it has to get difficult uh, being able to research some of them, right? Like, I mean, you can hardly find game film it feels like unless you have some resource i'm completely unaware of here i've tried and struggled to find game film of these guys and obviously you know things go beyond the stats there is a lot of numbers for them but it seems like a very difficult thing to to track down and make these mocks and tiers of guys yeah i think i mean i think we've even seen that there were some players that rose up uh kind of after the season ended that they still they did play like big colleges, but maybe not the blue bloods, not, they weren't really getting a lot of March madness time. And they, and they still rose up because they, people were finally spending even more time talking about them. I think Nick Claxton's a good example of that. Uh, if we're going through looking at it, um, gosh, I'm t- Terrence Davis, Terrence Mann, um, and oh gosh, what's the other, uh, and, and, Zylan Cheatham, of course. Like, they did play for, you know, well-regarded schools, but, you know, even writers only have so much time of all the guys I think they can tackle. Yeah. yeah, well, I think that that is all I have for the draft, unless there's anything you want to touch on, Nate or Rich, that you feel like we miss out on. Just while we've got you here, um, to wrap it up, if you could give us your best prediction, and I know... It's impossible to do this stuff, but it's something that I like to do when someone is so much more educated than myself. If you want to go true prediction, you can, or if you want to go what you want, that's fine. But uh, give us three names if you can here for those three picks. Yeah, so what I would, where I'm leaning, where I think they're probably going to go is I think they're going to go with Roby. I think 
with their number 40. I think they'll go with Norvell at 47 and Bone at 60. And I'm going to guess that they probably don't make a trade to move up. That's probably, that's, that's where I'm leaning. What about you guys? Any thoughts on that? I mean, not really, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Like, I have up to, no, second round guys, I don't have the knowledge there. When it, when it gets this, you know, when it gets this deep in the draft, your guess is better than mine, so I won't solely this podcast with it. Uh, but I will say something just that you mentioned earlier that I, I think is interesting is that uh, I think that the Kings, it does matter to the Kings uh, if, a, if, if a guy's willing to be worked out. I think that adds uh, significant odds that the Kings are going to take a closer look at them with the actual pick. So, you know, this list, this massive list of guys that have come through Sacramento, I think that's probably a couple of the guys uh, that will be picked, at least one, maybe two, perhaps all three will come from that list, and it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, it felt like that was one of the pluses of Bagley also, right? I mean, obviously he's a great talent and they liked him there, but wanting to be in Sacramento is just a big plus. Yeah, I think I think we kind of, as fans, have almost made fun of it. But like, you, when you go down the list of the, you know, highest regarded players, you know, I think most of those guys want to be here. I think, I think we're in a in a, in a league where we got a lot of guys teaming up and moving to bigger cities. And I think there's almost like, uh, it's almost like the age ranges, right? You know, uh, we have these younger guys that are like, all right, you. You guys that are at the top of the NBA right now, you're doing your thing. But you know what? De'Aaron Fox, Bagley Giles, I think they're like, no, we're going to make some noise on our own. Like, we're going we're gonna to earn it ourselves. And I think, I mean, even Bogey and, and Buddy are kind of a part of that. I mean, I feel like they could have a, you know, a Buddy Cop show or something like that. They're, they're so close. Um, but I think, you know, that's, if that's probably some version of the, of the top five of the players that they're, they're building around and, you know, Willie, um, we all have our concerns with Willie, but Willie gets out there in the community and as, and he's done projects, uh, you know, with art and with kids. And I don't know if he's going to be in Sacramento long term. Who knows what he would make? But I think that's it, it's definitely important. I think to these king to the Kings uh, brain trust to really have guys that that want to be here. Um, and I think that's pretty exciting. And I think the one piece of news we should touch on to close out here is a guy that hopefully feels like he wants to be here in Harrison Barnes. You know, through uh, just declined his player option of $30 million throughout the offseason. He was overseas repping Kings gear. You get the feel. Obviously, we don't have this inside information. You get the feel that Barnes does want to be back here. Um, I know the number we've thrown out a lot would be lowering it. I'm sorry, he turned down a $25 million player option. I said 30 of lowering that to 20 million, but giving it uh three, four years, like a four year, $80 million contract. Uh, how do you feel about the potential of doing that moving forward, Nate? Well, I mean, if we're, if we're just taking a look at who they worked out, you know, they didn't really work out a whole lot of guys that were obvious small forwards. Um, definitely some guys can give you small forward minutes. So th there's just a part of me that thinks that they just, they really think he's going to be back. And, you know, NBA teams, I think, are not entirely really supposed to negotiate a, with players that got that player option. But I think we all know that they give signals to, to the players. And uh, I know there was a really nice piece on a Sacktown Royalty about kind of Harrison Barnes, not the player, but the man. And he's still young. He's been in the league a long time. He's been a guy who was like one of the top prospects as a high schooler. He's also a guy that grew up, I think, in Ames, Iowa, which is not a big city. So I think that probably he probably is going to be a guy that, that they sign long term, that they're going to play a lot at the three, that's going to really give them that defensive energy that he gave really immediately after being traded. And who will be the leader, um, leader of the Kings? Yeah, and what are your thoughts on that, Rich? I mean, I, I would assume that him turning down twenty-five million dollars 
that he likely has an idea that he's going to be able to get that longer extension. I mean, $25 million is not what he's going to get on the open market in any sort of way. And even $20 million, I mean, he feels probably a 17 to $8 million value is kind of what I've seen thrown out there. But of course, you got to overpay a little bit. We call it that Sacramento tax. Um, what do you think about bringing Barnes back, Rich? Absolutely. Yeah. The, the word all season, the, and again, it's, it, like Nate said, it's something that can't be uh, set in stone for tampering reasons and for all sorts of the the regulations around it. They can't come out and say they're going to do this or that necessarily. But when a guy becomes a, a free agent and declines the option, you got to wait until the 30th. But the signals all year have been that he will be a king next season. Uh there's pretty solid confidence uh, from we heard from Jason Jones on this podcast and others. So I think he'll be coming back and I'm happy to pay 20 million a year for three or four years to, to have him. I think he's, he's a very valuable piece of this team going forward. And we're seeing a lot of guys throughout the league opt out and a good amount of them are candidates for this restructuring, or we've heard that's possible. Um, Tony Zip Terrace threw this out from Sacktown Royalty. Uh, Horford just declined that player option, and he said that he would be willing to do that if he were to get three more years on a lot of money there, or two or three more years. So I've I know for the Celtics they're looking at you know maybe throwing uh, twenty million, twenty five million per year max at him. Uh, Tony threw around the idea of like the Nuggets did, and in ninth seed not last year, year before, and then adding a veteran presence, overpaying for him a three-year 90 million, 30 per for a Paul Millsap, I would be all for Al Horford. Obviously, you know, you've exposed me for being a little bit of a Celtics fan here. Horford checks all the boxes that I would want out of a center. I don't see it as the most realistic thing, but I would be happy to extend that contract. Sure, yeah, he absolutely checks the boxes, but I mean, here's the thing. Like we're talking about, these sort of wink wink deals when, when in the tweet from Woj, it says that Horford and the Celtics are interested in working out, you know, or are exploring an extension. It's to me, that's like saying he will be signed to a new deal, but he can't say that. So that, that's where I'm at on it. Yeah. Fair enough. And I, I totally get that. I guess the thought process was if the Kings were to offer 10 million more than what the Celtics were, then maybe that turns his head a little bit. But totally get what you're saying. I agree. I think that he ends up back in Boston. Um, is there anything else that you guys feel like we need to touch on? I know actually we haven't touched on the AD trade in any sort of way. Maybe if we want to briefly get into that. I'm pretty much good. Um, the AD stuff, I think, you know, there's a lot of unpacking we can do about that. Uh, perhaps it is better to keep it for next episode just as number four could still be moved by the Pelicans or, and we don't even know when that trade's going to process right now. It's scheduled for the sixth, but there's reasons the Lakers would want to move it to the 30th. So uh, there's a lot to unpack there. And, and uh, unless you, you want to jump in on it now, I'm, I'm okay with waiting on that. Yeah, I think it makes sense to wait. Like you said, that four pick really feels like it could be moving and that's still part of that trade really with that trade not even fully being um, completed since they have to wait till deadlines in order to do that. Um, but I think that that is going to do it for this episode then. Is there anything else that you feel like we missed out on, Nate? I know we went through a bunch of names here um, and maybe one quick reminder of what your three guys are. Okay, so the one last little thing I'll hold out, I'll, I'll throw out there. Um, I can remember watching the draft a couple of years ago, and the Kings had, I think it was the seventh pick, and we were staring at the possibility of drafting Sacramento's own um, Marquise Chris, <laughs> and then you know they ended up drafting the, for the rights for Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, it's it's hard to identify a prospect that might be available, but you know there are sometimes players that their rights are owned and a team like the Kings or anybody else might view them as a stronger candidate. And then we'll all have it, have to start Googling who that is. So I, I throw that as, as the last kind of uh, variable out there. 
But uh, back to the guys who I think it'll probably be. We got Roby, uh, Roby Norvell, and uh, Bone. That's 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 what I'm looking at. All right. I like it. So do I. I'll pretend like I know know something about those guys. I'm about to do a lot of research after this. I'm going to be very disappointed if neither of those guys is on Sacramento by Tuesday. Yeah, I'll, I'd be surprised, but and you know that that can be a good thing. Well, thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. You can find the podcast on every major platform that there is. Be sure to subscribe and follow us so you can interact on Twitter at Kings underscore Pulse. And be sure to give Nate a follow as well. I believe it's at Journalist Nate, correct? Yep, that's me. Yep, be sure to give him a follow there as well for good Kings content. And thank you to everybody for listening to the episode. You will hear from us again in a couple days.